welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valen Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, welcome back to episode 99, which is just mind-blowing. I think it popped up on um, Facebook the other day that we've been at this just about two years. And it seems like yesterday, Catherine, you and I were just brainstorming and didn't even know if we were going to do the podcast. Yeah, and here we are, almost 100 episodes. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It really is. And we've we've come a long ways and we have covered some fun topics and we're excited for next week's episode. So listeners, make sure you tune in for our little celebration next week. Um, but this week we have um, a guest on with us. Kelsey is with the BLM and we're going to dive into f- wildfires. I know um, this morning I passed on running because the air quality wasn't wasn't where it should be. So I think this is a very timely episode, but before we dive in too far, thanks Kelsey for joining us. And would you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your position with the BLM? Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, my name is Kelsey Brizendine. I am the acting mitigation education specialist for BLM Idaho. What does your position do, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> um, so mitigation education, um, my primary role is to make sure that the public knows about what's going on with wildfires, uh, make sure the public understands, <clears throat> excuse me, what um, wildfire is, where it's burning, how it's burning, why it's burning. And then uh, the other half of our job is to um, make sure that the public understands how to live with fire, how to protect their homes and properties from fire, how to adapt to living in um, what we call the urban interface, which is where rangeland, in our case, meets um, the urban sprawl, which is you know people's homes and properties. Um, we do a lot of um, projects that help reduce the threat of wildfires coming into neighborhoods and subdivisions. We work with homeowners to protect their properties and to um, adjust to living in an environment that has fire as a part of it. Um, and we also educate people on how to prevent those human-caused fires, which is a big, big part of our job and is really, really important to us um, to, to educate the public about. Well, thanks, Kelsey, for sharing that. And um, again, we're glad to have you as a guest here. So let's start with why does it seem like the entire West is on fire? It seems like every day we get notification of another fire that's burning in the West. The air quality is bad. There's smoke in Colorado coming to us from California. Um, is, is this normal or is it just being sensationalized by the new news media or is it really that bad out there? So it, it's uh, complicated and complex and simple at the same time. <laughs> it's a very natural part of the ecosystem in the West and it is in a very important part of the ecosystem in the West. However, the amount of fires we're having, the intensity that those fires are burning and the duration that those fires are burning is... Uh, used to be abnormal and unfortunately is becoming the new norm. Um, Fire has always occurred in the ecosystem and it is an important part of it, but we are seeing these fires getting bigger and they're lasting longer. Um, Specifically to this year, especially in the West and specifically to Idaho, we experienced a very dry winter followed by an even drier spring followed by very hot temperatures. So, 
you know, for Southern Idaho, we actually did not experience a very high fire season. We so far have not experienced a very high fire season um, as far as BLM managed lands are concerned. We're actually um, uh, right at or below average on a lot of our acres burned and numbers for fires we've had because of that drought. We did not have um, and being in ag, I'm sure the both of you are well aware, we did not have the spring rains, which did not produce those annual grasses like we normally get. Um, so the fuel out there was significantly less, which meant that here in Idaho, especially in Southern Idaho, um, all across the, the Snake River Basin here, we um, did not have as much fuel to burn, which in turn made our fires lower um, intensity and they were able to catch them a lot easier. That is not necessarily the case in a lot of other areas. You may not see the extreme fuel loading, but you are seeing those fires getting bigger and the drought has affected the fuel that was already there, making it even drier than it normally is. Um, the timber um, is generally where we're seeing these bigger fires and they're seeing they're, they're having a lot more issues with um, wildfires is in, in that timber ecosystem because those fuels are very dry and they're big and they're going to burn a lot easier following the kind of drought we had. So with the fires, you know, versus I'm more used to the sagebrush grasslands down in southern Idaho, but when you're fighting the fires in the timber versus, you know, the desert land, is, is there different practices and mitigation in those areas as far as, is it easier to fight one over the other or um, ways to get to them? It's not necessarily easier or harder. It is different though. Um, here on the desert, um, the sage steppe, you know, in that, in that type of ecosystem, we are able to do a lot more of what we call mobile attack, which is where our firefighters with their engines actually physically drive along the fire's edge, spraying it out as they go. So they're actively putting the fire out as they drive along the edge of the fire line. Um, in the timber, that's obviously not as that's not always available. You know, there are roads and there are times where that is possibility, but in the timber, it's a lot more what they call indirect attack, where you're going ahead of the fire and creating fuel breaks where you remove the fuel um, ahead of the fire. So when the fire gets there, it has nothing to burn. Or you're using more of a backburn technique where again, you're removing the fire with fire, um, you're, you're fighting fire with fire. And by doing that, you're, we're able to control the intensity of the fire and um, we're able to slow that or slow or, and or stop the head or the flank of the fire that you're doing that back burn for. So basically, you know, by removing that fuel, you're able to stop the fire's progression or you're able to create a safe environment for our firefighters to get in and, and um, actively engage with either hand tools, hose lays, um, dozers, aircraft, things like that. So it is not necessarily easier or harder. Um, it is different though. And the, and the timber um, can burn for a lot longer because those fuels are bigger and it takes a long time to get rid of the heat that that fire is creating. So it's just different. It's not necessarily easier or harder. 
That makes sense. And I like, I guess I like not comparing because everything I could, you know, one person can compare something easier or harder based on experience too. So thank you. Thank you for that clarification. I'm wondering, you said that now the fires, even though Idaho is not had as many this year, but the fires are bigger and longer. Why do you think that is? There's a lot of factors there. Um, and the changing of the climate um, in Southern Idaho and in the West in general is definitely contributing to that. Our fire seasons are starting sooner and they're lasting longer. Um, we're getting more and more hot days. Um, and you know those are all contributing contributing factors. We are also seeing that invasive species um, component cheatgrass. Um, you know when you look at southern Idaho and the sage step, the primary you know the native species are bunch grasses and sagebrush and um, bitter brush and you know all of those things well bunch grasses are exactly that they're bunches and they're spread out with open space between them that is not conducive to carrying fire well when you add that cheatgrass component in which turns into like a mat it's like a solid mat it carries fire really well and cheatgrass loves fire it loves it. It carries it really well. It reseeds afterwards. It loves the area that's cleared by the fire. Um, it lays, you know, you can see a regrowth of cheatgrass in a burned area. If it's burning soon enough in the spring, you can see that that area grow back with cheatgrass later in the summer. Um, that is really made, that really has made conditions in the sage steppe and in Southern Idaho extremely difficult because the fires are moving a lot faster. And I don't know if you guys know this, but we get quite a bit of wind. <laughs> <laughs> the wind along with that cheatgrass really can make conditions extremely difficult. Um, prior to my position, I was a dispatcher. And prior to that, I actually fought fire for several years. And it is something you can't even comprehend when the wind is blowing 30 to 40 miles an hour and the fire's moving just that fast, there's nothing you can do. It's so, it's moving so fast that even if you tried to get in front of it, it would burn you over before you could even get your hoses out to do anything about it. So, you know, those conditions really do work against us. However, our firefighters are extremely well-trained and they do a really good job at mitigating those issues, but it is an issue and I, I think that along with the urban spread into the rangelands is causing a lot of these issues we're running into. Why do you say that, Kelsey? Why do I say what? That, that that's why the, the urban, urban um, issues are, or the urban sprawl is causing some of these issues. Oh, um, we're seeing a lot more uh, human-caused fires. Um, you know, generally speaking, in the sage step ecosystem, you know, there's there's a, a life cycle, um, and you know, we're seeing a disruption in that in the fire cycle. We're seeing fires reburning in in the same area over and over again, and you you discover that a lot of that is either accidental human uh, comes from accidental human starts on top of the natural cause starts 
So, you know, the urban spread is a factor to that because we're getting more and more people butting up against those rangelands and, um, you know, they are causing the fire cycle to accelerate by, by causing these human caused fires in addition to these natural caused fires. Is some of the recreational, because I've noticed just on the BLM surrounding um, our area that there's a lot more, you know, recreating in, in addition to grazing and other multi-uses, is that also causing some of the additional fires or um, is it mostly people just living next to them? No, it's definitely both. You're definitely seeing, especially after 2020 being what it was, um, you know, the increase on public lands and the increase to public lands use has skyrocketed. Um, and while we want the public to enjoy their public lands, it is for everyone, it is multiple use. Unfortunately, a lot of the new visitors to public lands were not accustomed to being out on public lands and didn't know what they were doing. And, um, you know, that, that did cause a lot of issues, you know, people leaving campfires unattended, driving off trail, um, not knowing where to put their campfires, um, not understanding how to build a proper campfire ring, um, you know, parking or driving on tall, dry grass, um, you know, things like that definitely have influenced, not just recently, but over, you know, the time of the, you know, people, people enjoying and recreating on public lands, that has always been an issue is just that not recreating responsibly. How do we help, I guess, especially in agriculture, because we're using the public lands, we understand the risk, um, but how do we help you guys and help protect our public lands from, from catching on fire, helping, you know, prevent spread the message that, hey, we need to be staying on trails. We shouldn't be even having campfires right now, things like that. Honestly, leading by example seems to be our best bet and then repeating the message, you know, by following the fire restriction orders that are in place, by following the prevention order that is in place every year, by respecting, you know, the, the campgrounds and by not leaving your trash and by, you know, um, using the established campfire rings and not leaving your campfire unattended. That is honestly one of the number one biggest complaints I hear from people is, well, I don't want to have to restart my campfire every time we come back to camp. You know, if we just leave it smoldering, it's not a big deal. And it's like, well, maybe it isn't, but what about the one time it is? And that's extremely dangerous, not only for you, but everybody else who is in that campground. And I think people really misunderstand how quickly fire can spread and how quickly it can go from just your little campfire to half the hillside. I mean, it's a matter of seconds sometimes, depending on where you're at. So leading by example, by you know doing all of those things as you use public lands, respecting the trails, you know, respecting the restrictions that are in place and then telling people about it as you, you know, go through your day-to-day -day lives, you know, you hear somebody say like, oh yeah, I'm heading out to go camping this weekend. Just be like, hey, remember, check for fire restrictions before you go, or don't forget to leave your campfire, you know, make sure it's dead out. If it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. Um, you know, those are really big influencers, um, I think, to getting that message out. 
No, I think that's a great reminder for us all, especially as we continue to have a few more um, holiday weekends ahead of us and wanting to get out. How, how do you interact with agriculture and specifically ranchers on the rangeland? Um, whether it's, um, you know, a fire's burning and you're helping trying to get cattle out or preventative, what's that overlap look like for you? Specifically for me in my position, I don't have a lot of hands-on with our permittees and the, you know, the rangeland side of things. I do have a lot of communication between myself and the range cons and um, just to make sure that those individuals who have permits in those areas that are burning, um, you know, make sure the range con knows so he can, that he or she can then um, relay that back to the permittee and, you know, answering questions when permittees answer, making sure that all of our, our social medias are updated with the most current fire information that I have. Um, you know, I don't directly interact with the permittees as much, but, you know, I will say that um, the Rangeland Protection, Fire Protection Associations, the RFPAs, have been a game changer for us. Um, having those individuals who are already out there trained to respond to these fires has made the difference in us being able to keep these fires smaller. And I can attest to the fact that there has been times that if those RFPAs had not been there, we would not have caught those fires. That has been one of the biggest, most brilliant partnerships we have had developed in a long time. Um, that makes the difference in being able to catch these fires. You know, I can't even count how many times the RFPA has been out checking cattle or moving cattle or sheep or just out there doing their thing and they spot a fire and they're able to respond to it and they're able to catch it. And it makes the difference. It makes a huge difference. And it, and I think it has really helped strengthen the relationship between the BLM and the range users because they understand our side of it and they understand how hard we work to put those fires out because they're right there along with us and it's been an extremely beneficial partnership. That's really cool to hear about that a partnership like that has worked out um, you know that you've been able to leverage that and, and be able to make a difference in, in what you're trying to do. It's, you know, it, it definitely, when it was originally created, there was definitely a lot of like, oh boy, how is this going to work out? Because, you know, back then, um, you know, the relationship between the ranchers and the BLM wasn't as good as it probably should have been. So there was some distrust there, but now, you know, once they, you know, once we created this partnership and once we created this, um, you know, program and they train right alongside us and they, you know, see what we're doing and we see what they're doing and we have the communication and we know that they're safe and we know that the, that, you know, they, you know, we're not putting them in a situation that is going to cause them harm. It has been, I, I can't even put into words how beneficial it is to us. And I, I hope to, to the ranchers as well, but, you know, we have caught so many fires because they were there and could respond and it's made the difference. Well, and just 
I've sat in on a few meetings that the, that, um, the RFPAs have just been brought up and just having the rancher's perspective of being able to actually feel like they could do something to protect their own rangeland too, because it's their livelihood is something they're, they're super grateful for. Um, do they, do they have equipment staged out there to use, or do they use their own equipment when they're going to fight the fires? Um, so I think it kind of depends on which RFPA you're talking about, but i you know, I'd have to look that up, honestly. I'd have to look it up and, and get back to you because I don't have that right off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, no worries. I was just curious because I know, I think a couple of them definitely have stuff staged, but I didn't know if there was, you know, specifics on, oh, we can't use, you know, our, our own tractor to do a fire line or something like that, so... There are some requirements just because of safety and, um, you know, making sure that nothing, nobody gets into a position that they're, they can't get out of, you know, you don't, you don't want, um, you know, the 12 year old who's out there disking a field to then, you know, hop on over to a fire line, obviously. Um, but I can't, I just, for the life of me, cannot remember what all the restrictions and requirements are right off the top of my head. No worries. We, Thank you for bringing RFPAs up, though. I think that's a cr critical conversation and topic that I think we can use going forward in a lot of different things because these overlaps with um, public lands and ranchers and users are, are very, very important. Um, I guess what solutions are there going forward to prevent fires? Um, we can't control Mother Nature and we can't control... Um, the fuel load as far as growing, but what are some of the, the solutions that we can do to prevent fires from happening? There, it, it is incredibly simple. Um, there are some really incredibly simple steps. Most of our human caused fires are started off roadways in Southern Idaho on the, the rangelands. So little things like checking your chains to make sure that they're not dragging on your trailer, checking your trailer's tire pressure and tire conditions to make sure that you're not gonna get a flat. And you know the rim of that, of that tire on the trailer hitting the asphalt is gonna spark and it's gonna cause, you know that could start a fire off the side of the road. Um, making sure you're staying on trail with your UTVs and ATVs, making sure that you don't drive through tall, dry grass. You check the undercarriage before, you know, periodically to make sure nothing's getting built up underneath there. Um, never using fireworks on public lands at all, not even having them with you. Um, taking time to clear the area when you're out target shooting, avoiding target shooting on hot, dry, windy days. Um, making sure you're not using still componented ammunition and you're not shooting at, you know, steel targets, um, you know, simple things like that, making sure that you don't leave your campfire unattended and that it's cold to the touch and making sure you don't build it right underneath, a, you know, an overhanging tree, making sure it's away from your tent so it won't accidentally start your tent on fire, um, avoid burning 
um, you know, debris burning in your yard or on your property on hot, dry, windy days, making sure you have a burn permit. You know, just little things like this really add up to make the difference in those accidental human-caused fires. Um, fireworks is huge. And again, people don't understand how quickly a fire can go from, oh, my fireworks started a little piece of grass on fire to five acres. It can go in a blink of an eye and you won't even realize what has happened. Or by the time you run back to the house to get a hose and come back, it's 10 acres. You know, so fireworks are really, really dangerous and should be avoided on public lands at all costs. Well, thank you. Go ahead, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey, this has been a great glimpse into both the causes of the wildfires that we're seeing so much of right now and and how to um, how to prevent them, um, which, like you say, it sounds really simple, but it just takes just takes once. So just those reminders, I think, are really great. Um, is there anything that you have for parting thoughts before we sign off for the day? Uh, you know, just another reminder that it's, um, you know, hunting season is coming up and I, I myself have experienced a cold hunter too and had a uh, warming fire. But again, just remember to make sure if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. So, you know, make sure that you uh, check fire restrictions before you head out for your hunts and you check to make sure that your campfire is dead out before you leave to go get that trophy um, you know, those are, those are really key things. And Idaho, um, we have a, a really couple of really great resources for fire information. Um, you can visit www.idahofireinfo.com and you can also visit uh, BLM Idaho Fire on Facebook and Twitter. And there's tons of resources on how to protect your homes and your properties and what to do when you're out recreating and enjoying your public lands. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Kelsey, for joining us. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, questions, you can email us at talktous at millennialag.com. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag.